When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmitz. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28, and now, roll time. And Mark Cranach. Time has come for someone to put his foot down. And that foot is me. Welcome to it, Weekend Editions here. It's Hale Varsity Radio, presented by Currency. For all your equipment financing needs, go Currency. Chris Schmidt, Elijah Herbal. We'll get Mark Cranach in the fold here in a little bit. He is probably screaming at his computer. Uh, just a guess. So, Cranach going to be with us here in just a moment. Numbers to dial up, 46637. Seven six four six six three seven seven six eight hundred eight two five five eight six five. Can email the show Chris at HaleVarsity dot com, and we're up bright and early streaming this morning on ESPN Lincoln's Facebook, on ESPN Lincoln's Twitter at ESPN Lincoln, also Hale Varsity Radio at H uh, Varsity Radio's Twitter handle. Follow that. And uh, locally, of course, weekday mornings, coffee and cream. Be sure to catch Damon Benning and Andrew Rogers, 7 to 9 a.m., Monday through Friday. One more option that's a great option is the Hale Varsity YouTube channel. Check that out. You can watch the show that way. Elijah Herbal back in studio. I am at home. Uh, the pups are up. They're out. Uh I kind of get a kick out of this. I get a cup of coffee going in the wee early hours of uh, of Saturday mornings for this weekend edition. We've been doing this thing since, two, well, oh, I'd say 2010, and uh, that was pre-pups. But, yeah, I like my cup of coffee, and I like to see the German rush up here to greet me. It's uh, comforting. Uh, pretty comforting week of Nebraska football, Elijah, and uh, Mark Cranach also joins us as uh, Nebraska's coach is able to A, get back out on the road with the recruiting world uh, for 2024 and beyond, and then also uh, kind of settle down with um, some uh, some in-state uh, moments, uh, not only see some high schools and talk to some coaches, but uh, also uh, rub elbows with uh, national championship winners, i.e. Coach Rule and uh, – and Tom Osborne. Uh, we said Mark Cranach. Cranach, what do you know? How you been, man? Uh, well, it's good to be here, uh, and it's good to be uh, covering a Nebraska program that has a plan. I don't know. The Frost, <laughs> the Frost group did, too. It's, mm-hmm. We thought. Actually, we thought there would be a plan. Remember when he got here, it's just like, hey, it's good that at least now there's going to be a plan for everything because Frost, being a really hard worker, Nebraska guy, uh, you know, former quarterback, you know, he's he's been tutored by all the best coaches on the planet. You know there's going to be a plan for everything, at least. He's seen the best do their thing 
he yeah. he'll have some sort of uh, system in place to go get it totally. Done. He's going to apply it right. Like he's going to serve the perfect kind of sandwiches, not just regular old sandwiches that other football teams do. Like he's bringing in Dave Ellis for that, right? Like, mm-hmm. but he turns out there really really wasn't a plan for everything, and there was a little checking out going on. It seems, anyways. It seems. Well, it feels like the plan was Whereas like, let's rule, bring in some some fast position, skill position players, and then the rest take care of itself. That seemed to be the plan. Yeah, and then make the Big Ten adjust. Yeah, to that, be like, ha ha, sure. <laughs> y'all, y'all, the Big Ten never thought about defending fast guys, did you? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, yeah, actually, we have, we have. So uh, next, anyways, this isn't. It wasn't about fraud. What what I'm impressed. By so far now you saw who matt rule hired this week right he hired like the essentially the ceo of the texas high school athletic directors association as like the governing body staff. doctor yeah dr susan elza and so of course the next natural question after that is like well what is the chief what do you what do they do you're like i don't know dude like what do everything you mean? I, organizes the schedule and the uh, plans strategically for the execute. Like, I don't know. It's behind the scenes stuff. It's not coaching, but it's part of the infrastructure. It's part of the overall apparatus. But what I mean, what that signaled to me more than anything, and I think it's kind of the whole point, in addition to Garrett McGuire, the wide receivers coach, son of Joey McGuire, 23 years old, looking like home alone, and one other... Uh, Let's see, Bob Wager, the tight ends coach, right? And he's a he's a known commodity of the high school. But the fact that they had clearly have a plan, clearly have a plan to not just recruit Texas and say they're gonna recruit Texas. Because they're gonna go win doesn't... Texas. Right? Like, dude, they are planting a Nebraska flag flat in the middle of the state of texas <laughs> like do you know what i'm like there's a difference between just saying hey we're gonna talk to a couple guys and we hope we like they are like rolling up joey bosa style you know they are just like bam throwing that flag right into the turf saying we are gonna recruit the hell out of this place well have you seen and it's like huh have you seen okay. what the what a recent strategy has been? I saw this on Twitter and I thought it was really interesting. You see the coaches, especially Coach Barthel, taking pictures wherever they're going of the of the high schools they're yeah. going to visiting. Have you seen they're leaving Husker stickers either stuck somewhere in the uh, the the football offices or something like that of wherever they're recruiting or somewhere in the main offices of the school they're at. And it's just that little thing of like that. brand recognition. We're gonna leave that Husker end sitting right on the the front window of the the school office you know what every single kid's walking by is going to see the nebraska N. and if they're not a football player it's okay maybe they'll think about nebraska for their academic career but if they are a football player they're going to see that N sitting there i think it's a it's a really cool strategy and will the school eventually go take those ends down probably but our kids going to see that first and see the block in and go oh nebraska they stopped by this school that's pretty cool i mean it's it's one of those cool things i look at and i go just just brand building with matt rule and his staff that's just getting the husker name out there and kind of making people remember yeah this, this the husker n is still relevant nationwide people see that end and they still think nebraska i think that's just a, a reminder from the coaching staff we've seen on the co- on the recruiting trail recently 
you're making high school administrators all over the country dust off their like defacing property policy. Like, is this qualified? <laughs> is there, do we it, have to? This take- is this is brilliant, and this is uh, an old trick that was used in the '70s and '80s. Uh, you look at Nebraska's success down in New Orleans, right? The Neil Smiths of the world, okay? The Reggie Coopers, uh, Leroy Etienne. Um, Nebraska would would always put up like a Husker Power poster in opposing uh, high schools. They do it at at Don Bosco in New Jersey. They do it at wherever Neil Smith came from in in the the is it the fifth ward or the eighth ward that that inner city region of New Orleans, uh, San Diego or Los Angeles. You, you go into um, the um, East L.A. part where Ralph Brown and, and Lawrence Phillips came from, uh, West Covina. I mean, you have Husker Power posters put up by some really, truly legendary recruit, recruit um, recruiting back. people in Nebraska's program. Jack Pierce, uh, George Darlington's of the world, Frank Solich's, I mean, three just killer recruiters. And, uh, yeah, so this sticker is is great. I love that, Elijah, with what they're doing. It's, and no one's going to mess with it, Cranach. It's it's going to be there, and it's going to no be And no one's going to mess with Nebraska anymore either because of it. Ten wins this year <laughs> thanks to the stickers. And we're not saying that. That's the – don't you – there's one thing about doing this show, and you all do it a lot more, obviously, during the week, where it's just like – as you comment and observe the things that they're doing, it it almost invariably can just come across as hype or as though it's going to work. Nobody's saying that. I always feel compelled to, like, give that disclaimer of just say, you know, like, Nebraska staking their flag in the state of Texas. Uh, like, they're really doing that in a much more pronounced way than, I, mm-hmm. you know, we've seen at, at out of any of these staffs that have come through the come through the doors in the last 20 years they are like they're they're all in on recruiting texas will that matter hopefully right <laughs> like you hope it, it, it does stickers, matter elijah like elijah's like look at this cool little touch that they're like they're leaving sick they're like branding nebraska all over the country and i could just you know just what we've all been through <laughs> the last mm-hmm. 20 years i could just see people driving rolling their eyes like oh god here comes the hype train again it's like look we don't know if it's going to work but we just we're know just what they're doing and reporting on the things that are different and like where they're taking things they're taking things in a much different direction and dude that's another they cleaned house pretty well i i'm not saying i agree with that either but like we we had talked to gary sharp a couple weeks ago like Mm-hmm. Wow! Look, Kenny Wilhite's still on the staff, and no, he, nope, he gone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that's former Husker, and I, he had a good reputation, good guy. Uh, that's another thing I'm kind of noticing with this staff is I don't think people are as up in arms about it. I think I think Rule is truly being given free reign to kind of just do do what you got to do to drain the swamp, if you will. <laughs> well, right, wow. but, but you don't um, want to equate. You, I know what you're saying, Elijah. You don't want to equate like there's nothing. Kenny Wilhite's great dude, great employee. Yeah. He'll he'll land on his feet. He could absolutely stay within this staff and 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 do a great job. 
Um, well, I'm not saying there aren't any but, great animals within a swamp. There's a lot of great animals in the swamp. <laughs> Dude, it's not the swamp. It's just a shift. A, a shift in, uh, in philosophy. Have you worked with me? Do you believe the same things I believe? Good. We're on the same page. There's less energy and time spent teaching. You know it. You've worked for me. You're played for me. Here you go. Here's your office. I mean, that's just how it is in, in a lot of folks. Uh, in the athletic or corporate world, do the same thing where you take over something, you're going to bring in people you know can thrive versus well, hoping that they adapt to uh, your vision and philosophy. Speaking of, you know, terrible analogies, um, <laughs> he spent a lot of he spent a lot of time in Waco. And he's very much just, into no, true believers. No, 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 no. <laughs> just, <laughs> that became obvious in all seriousness, though. <laughs> though what you've heard from the coaches so far, like they're believers in some Matt Rule. You know, like they are like, oh, no, this dude's got, yep, Matt Rule. He's the, he is the guy. I don't think you heard that. I don't know. You heard that some with Bo, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't think you heard that a ton with Callahan. You didn't hear that as much with Mike Riley. You sort of heard that in pockets with Frost. But, like, these guys go out of their way to basically pay tribute to Rule's greatness. <laughs> you know? Like, they really there's, do. There's loyalty. And, yeah, big-time built-up yeah. loyalty. Yeah, and that's and that's a trait of, you know, Waco's known for that sort of thing. And so, I okay, that's... I'm not, I'm not going to make the joke I was going make. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Swamp and so, Branch Davidians. Like, what are we talking Cranach, about? let's shift here a minute, partner. <laughs> Schmitty's, like, Schmitty's like, let's change topics. Let's get out now. <laughs> we're we're going we're gonna to just move, move uh, and stay with uh, football. But, he, you know, I, I'm interested here with uh, the, the salaries here. And what do you think of that? Uh, we haven't talked to you in a, in a little while. And. Uh, we heard from Evan Cooper and Barthol, and, and they reiterated, you know, why they have moved on uh, in their careers to come back to rule, either from a past coaching relationship or or playing for the guy. And and it it really is uh, genuine. It is very genuine about why they they click with with Coach Rule so much uh, and and believe that he's going to get it handled. Uh, because of his intelligence, his work ethic, and, and then the eye for talent, and then that that drive to develop, right? So you heard from those two. Um, and you've got the two coordinators that are making coordinator money, but everyone else is – it's kind of measured, honestly. I mean, it's yeah, it's a little bit measured with, with what you're getting paid to, to coach the defensive line or what you're making in the secondary isn't exorbitant. You don't know the wide receiver number for Garrett. We've been kind of chuckling all week what we would have done with a six-figure salary when we're 24 years old. Oh, jeez. <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. But, that wouldn't have I mean, been good. It, it's, it's, it's well within reason, the numbers and money being spent right now. And, and he's pooling a lot to have this support staff, which is what we started this conversation with, with Elza coming in and, and her background and connections. I mean, uh, you want to talk about thoroughly planned uh this nebraska takeover has been yeah and so in those a lot of the salaries on eight of the ten staff members come out yesterday right and 1.4 million from marcus satterfield let's just give you the range here 
1.4 for Marcus Satterfield as the offensive coordinator. That's legit. That is like mm-hmm. as competitive as I think you'll find nationwide. Well, that makes him, I, I believe, the highest paid uh, assistant in Husker history. I believe I could be wrong on my number there, but no, you're, you, it, it does. I don't think anybody's gotten into seven figures before him. So, yeah, that, that would stand to reason. And then all the way down to 285000 all the way down. That's a pretty penny. I realize that. $285,000 uh, for EJ Barthel, the, the running backs coach, which that's, that also surprised me a little bit. I'm like, hey, how, if I'm EJ, I'm sitting here like, whoa, hey, well, hey. I, I, think hey that, I think that shows that, that him. And then you also look at that Raiola at 325 and both those guys on unproved contracts. And I think that stands to reason with what their history is, yeah. is, is Barthel's never had real power five experience like this. He was recently at UConn. It's a big step up for him. And with Raiola as well, it's a guy that rules not as comfortable with, um, but it's a guy that he was sold on throughout this process. So you're going to put both those guys on prove it contracts early and say, you know what? You want to make more like these other guys on staff? Prove it while you're you're on my staff right now as a position coach. These other guys have been position coaches for me before, and I, or, or I, they're with me in Carolina, and I trust them. Prove it right now to me. you got a year or two, and then we can talk about the, the higher numbers, which I think is really reasonable to do with your assistants. And the fact that you found assistants that were willing to do that, even at a place like Nebraska, I think speaks to the loyalty around the country to these coaches to rule. And I think we know, too, 285000 a year in Lincoln, Nebraska will take you pretty damn far. Mm. right? Those sure guys will. are okay. They're, they're not going to have to be, have to be you know, subsisting off of saltine crackers or anything. They're, they're going to be just fine. Uh, as opposed to, say, you're in L.A., paying somebody 285 a year, you might be like, well, I don't – hey, Coach Riley, I don't know if this is going to – I need a roommate. I don't know if this is going to work out. I, I, I need more than a studio apartment, you know, in a shady part of town. Like, mm-hmm. it, it would be, uh, be a tougher sell for them. So that's your range, 285 all the way up to 1.4. I, the the 1.4 makes me cock my head a little bit. I'm like, mm-hmm. only because I, is Satterfield that proven, right? I, I think that's money for like, you know, a dude that has invented a new offense, <laughs> you know, and is uh, got a huge track record. I, I wouldn't say Satterfield has that. I think he's a very competent coach. I think he has a good resume. Mm-hmm. I think he's had moments of brilliance. You know, but I, I don't see him as an elite level O coordinator yet. Prove me wrong, but mm-hmm. just look at his track record. You can't say that, you know, he's some sort of can't miss. He's that, not that a whole burgeoning, after, right? He's not a burgeoning Chip Kelly under Mike Bellotti type. Here's 1.4 million, right? Yeah. I mean, that's right. And, but, and the thing with Satterfield is. I think he is pretty committed to this is what he's telling us anyway, is committed to the run, obviously wants to be ground and pound, but he's also committed to an offense that can and will use a mobile quarterback, but still have the pro elements where you huddle and it is uh, eye formation. So they, they can do a lot of things on offense, but the way he ended on offense is uh, is a great uh, showcase of, of once things settle in, guys get healthy or stay healthy, and the talent peaks. Look how they wrapped the season, almost beating Notre Dame with that offense in that lineup, South Carolina. 
uh, whacking Clemson uh, 31-30 and then dismantling Tennessee that everyone was it's a playoff team. And it was super impressive. I mean, almost 65 points put up on, uh, on, on Tennessee. So when it's rolling, when it's hot, it, it's, it's pretty awesome. And you hope to see that in Lincoln for sure, in Boulder for sure, in Minnesota. Well, well and, and, and can I just add to that? I also just look around what how college football is moving. And a, a power five spot, especially at a place like Nebraska, it almost feels like at this point in 2023, one million's the floor with how much your coordinator right, yeah, will be making at a place true. like Nebraska. One million's that. the floor. And whenever you look at Satterfield staying loyal to Roman, I mean, he was at a, at a good spot in South Carolina. He most likely had another year with Rattler. He, he didn't have to leave, but he's showing his loyalty to Rule, and Rule's going to show loyalty back to him and say, you followed me everywhere I've gone. Now I'm getting back into college football. You're leaving a good spot that you've got in South Carolina. I'm going to reward you, and you know what? You're going to be my, my number two here based on salary. You're going to be my number two. You're going to have more responsibilities than probably just being an offensive coordinator. We're going to pay you for that, and you know what? Whenever this thing gets rolling, we want to have a salary that is going to keep you from trying to go take your own head gig somewhere else. I'm not going to stop you from doing it, but I'm going to make sure that you know that I think you being here with me is your best option. So you look at 1.4 and it's it's not crazy. $1 million for your defensive coordinator, a guy in Tony White that's done really well at Syracuse for the past couple of years. I don't want to say it feels like a deal because I don't think anything's, think a, anything's a deal <laughs> for $1 million, but I do lean more on the side of that's Nebraska friendly more than it is Tony White friendly. $1 million for your defensive core. I mean, that's the same as Eric Shenander, and I think Tony White comes in probably as a more proven defensive coordinator based on what he's done at Syracuse than Eric Chenander. So you look at that and you go, yeah, if, if you got him for a million dollars, which feels like your, your baseline, what you need to do for your coordinator at a place like Nebraska, 1.4, then you say, well, okay, I mean, maybe Satterfield with his history and loyalty with rule does deserve $1.4 million. I don't think it's a, it's a crazy number for your offensive coordinator. Probably not. It is. Yeah, you're, it's, it's, it's probably not. Did, but did you see what Mitch Sherman – the rumors had been out there, but did you see what he put out there last night about on Twitter about Xavier Betts? Yes, yes. We we so, talked a little bit about Betts yesterday, yeah. and yeah. Uh, we we will hit this now, and, and next hour we'll get Brandon Vogel and Gary Sharp's take. Here's what I believe to be true with... And Mitch is basically confirming that Betts is coming back. Yeah. Right. That, that's I what think, he put out there. I think you, you you have to look at this uh, with uh, Betts and, and Rule and Nebraska's new staff. I, I believe that there's been a couple of meetings. All right. I think there's probably quite a bit of emotion involved in it. Um, and if you're Betts, think about your last almost year. Okay. What what has life been for you, and what has life been for you without college or football? And I don't know if he ha- if he he's been taking courses online, so I I don't know. I just know that those are some questions moving forward. Do you scholarship him? Is he academically eligible? And and what are the steps that he needs to do to physically get ready to be? back into winter conditioning and, and beyond for spring ball. Uh, everyone's on the same page trying to learn the new rule system on offense, or at least Satterfield's stuff. And then your 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 locker room, right? Uh, 
what what type of reception do you get coming back? I am all for uh, bets coming back. I think a lot of Nebraska fans are, but it's a pretty unique situation here. Um, I think Nebraska and rules done everything they can to try and uh, hold that door open for him uh, to make him feel welcome to come back. And I, do, yep. do, do we actually think that this this could be a walk-on? Because I don't think it could be. I think Betts comes right back in, and, and maybe it's not a scholarship right away. Maybe it's, hey, this first semester you're going to be paying your way through school, but then once we get to the mm-hmm. fall, if you're still on the team, you're going to have a scholarship. Because it's, it's not like Nebraska was the only school that was in on Xavier Betts. Xavier Betts is a great talent. He's proven it on a college football field. And when he entered his name back in the portal, it's not like Nebraska was the only school that was in on a kid like Xavier Betts. Sure. I, I think in order for Nebraska to be competitive, in order to get him back, I don't think you could have gone on this and say, all right, but you're going to be a walk-on here. I, I think he would have picked another school, and I could be completely off on this. Maybe he likes Nebraska. Maybe he wants to stay close to home. I don't know. But just my reading of the tea leaves is I don't think he would come back to Nebraska if there wasn't a scholarship on the table for him just because look at the talent. Look at the speed. As you know, he enters his name back in the portal, someone around the country is going to be sniffing around going, that's great Pitt. talent. Pitt. Pitt could be the name. Somebody around the country is going to look around and say, look what this guy did in a football field. We can get this guy now. We, we can get – I mean, when you look at the transfer portal, what it is, is it's like a yard sale at times where you go – you're picking up somebody else's junk, and, and you know you've gotten this Ferrari in Xavier Betts at the yard sale. Somebody's going to offer a scholarship for that. So I don't think it's, it would be possible for Nebraska to have gotten this without putting a scholarship on the table. I could be wrong there. I don't know. No inside knowledge from me, but just trying to think, look at it analytically and thinking about the talent that Betts is, I don't think he would have come back to Nebraska if it was just a walk-on offer. I feel like there's got to be a scholarship there. And with the talent that he has and with what he's already shown in a college football field, I think he probably deserves a scholarship. You know, yeah, and, it's, and with it's, with bets too, guys. I think. I mean, there, there, it's not just going to be, "Hey, welcome back. Here's your helmet." I mean, I think there's there's some things he's got to do. We touched on <laughs> academics, <your> right? <laughs> we left uh, everything here for you. It's just right yeah, here. Your locker room's still set up just locker, how you left it. The locker's not been touched. I promise you. We might have to dust a little bit, but. Coach, no, I need a I, few more Cheetos. Uh, the pants are not going to fit. I need uh, <laughs> a bigger size. You know, and uh, Red Wine 65 says a good, solid string of receptions will do wonders for bets. Uh, good take there. Now, I, uh, now it's not just going to be seamless. There's going to be a, a process and some work that uh, the bets has to do as well. It's a, But it's a welcome look. I uh out of all the people, Nebraska's been Nebraska's been very transient. The roster has been for mm-hmm. years now. That I, I would put him in my top three of like no, no, no. Come on, not bets, right? Like him and Hausman are the three. two for me. Yeah, Hausman's up there now, and of course Wandale is up there. Where you're like, oh mm-hmm. no, you know, in terms of sheer ability. Yeah, I think we know bets is different. Well, once he hits that that fifth gear, <laughs> see ya. <laughs> that dude's out, like mm-hmm. Stammy Watkins style back in the day. You know where it's just sure. like he has a different pull away gear. And, and the same that, style where they both they both glide. They don't even look like they're moving that fast. But then they're just yeah moving away from everybody. You go wow. Yeah, he is ridiculously talented. And so if he could get put into the right kind of system, and. Look, the other thing you hear about rule and that the the coaches keep emphasizing is that, no, we are going to really care about our players. And that's not just lip service. Like, that's what we do. EJ Bartho was getting emotional talking about his running back room back at UConn because he clearly 
established a true connection with those guys. And from what you hear, Betts kind of needs that, right? Like he needs maybe a little extra attention that some other dudes don't, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, not that he's, you know, not that that's a, a, a detriment of his or a or a bad characteristic. It's just some dudes need more structure mm-hmm. and care and attention than others. Others are self-starters. Amir Abdullah was going to work out eight hours a day no matter what, right? Like that dude, that's just how he's built. Not everybody's built like that, right? So if you could if you could tap into him, help him reach his potential, yeah, Nebraska just essentially signed a four-star slash borderline five-star talent, you know, by getting bets back into the fold. And that's according to Mitch Sherman. It's not official yet. We don't know, but, like, I, Mitch doesn't put that out there willy-nilly either. And, and no, it's, it's, it's going to be the first real big test for Coach McGuire, too, a 24-year-old. Now you've got a guy in bets that's going to require a lot of attention, but if you treat that well, if you give bets the attention that he's going to need to be on a football field, you, again, as you said, Cranach, you got a four- or five-star talent, a guy that can be a, a game-changer. That's going to be a, the first real big test of Coach McGuire, 24 years old. Okay, how are you going to handle this situation? I think that's where you go earn your paycheck if, if you're a guy like Garrett McGuire. So much has been said. You know what? He, he doesn't carry himself like a 24-year-old. He carries himself like he's more mature. He's got energy. He's a grinder. Prove it. What are you going to do with a guy like Xavier Betts? Well, and you're going to have a a chance for McGuire also, but also Coach Rule. I mean, he's going to be hands-on hands on, on this uh, because he does – really care about his players. I mean, that's been underlined uh, multiple times by everyone we've heard talk about the guy. Mark Cranach is in. Elijah Herbal with us. Chris Schmidt, weekend edition of Hale Varsity. A timeout, rewind coming up. What Searles think of Walter Rouse? Nebraska landing a big-time offensive tackle in the portal. Uh, we talk NFL weekend, our rewind segment with Husker standout Jeremiah Searles on the way. It's Hale Varsity Weekend. We're presented by Currency. Pardon the interruption, but I'd like to save you some money. I'm Brandon Vogel, managing editor of Hale Varsity. And I wanted to offer listeners of this podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you can get everything we produce. 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all of the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe and enter the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hale Varsity. That's HaleVarsity.com slash subscribe, promo code GBR. Now back with Hale Varsity Radio with Chris Schmidt and Mark Cranach. Back with you, Tail Varsity Radio, presented by Currency. We welcome in our favorite Husker NFLer and uh, a few of his uh, teams in the postseason this weekend. Jeremiah Searles with us. Find him on Twitter at Searles71 underscore HSKR. Searles, have you stopped by the roadside and inhaled the fresh air of Iowa? You're, uh, you're road tripping right now, am I right? Yes, I'm on my way back home from Minnesota. I've been up here all week uh, working with some clients up here at the gym that we have, O-linemen. So good to be back home for a little bit. This is my busy time of year, so anytime I can get it home, I will, and I can't get out of Iowa quick enough. Now, so Searles, we're, we're cruising. you're sure none of these uh, these clients have any eligibility left, maybe withdraw their name from the draft, go to the transfer portal, convince them to go to Nebraska? Is that is that possible here? 
No, absolutely not. They're all going to the NFL. I will say I'm a huge fan of Walter Rouse. I've been recruiting him for two years for the agency. Could not be more excited that he is a Husker. Tell me more from your eyes to the Husker fans' ears. Uh, tackle to tackle, what do you love about him? Yeah, you know, so Walter's another guy. First of all, he's incredibly smart, obviously. He went to Stanford. I'm pretty sure he's going to be a mechanical engineer. So incredibly smart human being. I also love the fact that he's like 21 years old. He's super young, you know, so he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on the body. But at the same time, he's been a multi-year starter at Stanford. He's a Stanford O-lineman. He's a road grader. But this year he took a huge jump in his pass protection. You know, and anytime you're talking about a left tackle, especially someone that's going to possibly go to the league, you know, pass protection is key. You know, he had a really high grade coming out of uh, Stanford this year, but he wanted to go back for one more year. You know, so he's got one more year under his belt, transferred through the Big Ten. I think he's going to be a major upgrade for us at left tackle. Talk to me about some of the options Coach Raiola has. A lot of guys who've played ball, some have been injured, some are trying to find their best football. Yeah, you know, I think obviously you got a guy in Walter you want to put at left tackle. You know, now you got a guy at Teddy Borhaska. You know, the question is kind of like, now what? You know, but our tackles have been a bit of our weak spot. You know, I think maybe we could get Teddy to move over to right. Um, you know, do his thing over there. He can. You got Turner now. You can maybe move back to the side. You get Nuri back. You know, you're getting pieces back. And I think that's part of why Raiola was retained on the staff. You know, he knows these guys. He knows them inside and out. And then the ability to go land some big portal guys, too, to help bolster that depth, that offensive line. He finally has some options. You know, I think last year we didn't have depth. We didn't have options. When things weren't going great, we didn't have somewhere to turn of, like, this guy will fix us. You know, so but now we seem like we have some options and guys left some competition and go through spring ball, go through training camp and find the best five. Do you believe what Matt Rule and Satterfield say whenever they say they think the offensive line can be a strength of the team next year? It'd be a far cry from last year where they're probably the biggest weakness on the team and only a couple transfer portal additions. Do you, do you truly believe they could be a strength of the team next year? Mm, as a wise man once said, we'll see. You know, <laughs> I'm not sold on that you know i don't i don't like getting sold on ooh, they're going to be a strength of the team when it's an unproven group you know i think you can say an offensive line is going to be the strength of your football team when you've got a proven group that's been together a long time done it at a high level a long time won games because of the offensive line you know that's when i can say strength of a team now does that mean that they can't work their way into that absolutely not but i'm not ready to say wow look at what these guys can do on paper when i haven't seen them do it between the white lines Jeremiah Searles is with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And Searles, a lot of Husker fans getting higher on this offensive line because of the additions of uh, Walter Rouse and, and Ben Scott. Whenever you look at those two, do you think those two guys are our Big Ten ready right away? Or do you think there's going to be some work they need to put in over the next couple of months to get their bodies right for the, the Big Ten coming over from the Pac-12? Yeah, I mean, obviously the Pac-12 trash. So they definitely have to make <laughs> sure that they get themselves rolling a little bit more. You know, there's a big physical nature to it. You see it happen with... I mean, as much as um, Ojon Mathis had a bit of an impact, you know, he came from the Big 12, and he got pushed around on the run game and kind of disappeared in the pass game, you know. So it is just a different style of play in the Big Ten. It's a grind it out. It's cold. It's making sure that you can go out there and, and execute, I mean, on a down-by-down basis when you're running the ball over and over again, you know. But I think of a guy like Walter specifically, you know, he comes from a Stanford program that, you know, they don't shy away from running the football. You know, if there's a physical team – in the Pac-12 at Stanford and Utah. You know, so I don't think they'll have a huge adjustment coming to here and what we do. And so, you know, I think there's slight adjustments, but both those guys have played a lot of football. 
you know, it's not going to take long for them to be able to get adjusted and uh, get to the style of play that we're going to want. Jeremiah Searle spending time with us. Hail Varsity Radio NFL Weekend. We'll get there. Overall, your takeaway with Coach Rule right now from recruiting to staff to communication, uh, just your observations, your feel as a former Husker. I think he's killing it. You know, I think he's killing it. He's doing all the right things. He's talking to the right people. He's recruiting the right type of players. And, you know, he's not – he's being transparent. You know, I think that's a big thing of transparency of what he wants to do and then showing with his words, with his actions. And, you know, it all sounds great and it's all doing the right things. And at the end of the day, I hope it all comes to fruition in September because that's when you'll be judge, jury, executioner comes during the season. No, as we all seen, you know, but at the moment, I think he's absolutely crushing it, and he's gotten me really excited for this Husker football season. Is it a different excitement? You've been through the the merry-go-round with the rest of us, and and you were, you know, really loyal, and and you should be to to a guy like Bo. So you've seen this from a player's perspective this this turnstile of coaches. Uh, yeah, you know, and when I say excitement. I mean excitement as I'm excited to see what it looks like. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying excitement of, ooh, we're going to win 10 games next year. You know, I think there's a different level of excitement. My excitement is like, okay, things have changed. We have new faces. We have new players. I'm excited to see what this team looks like. I'm not going to ready to anoint them kings by any means, and no one should. But I think there's a definite realistic, and everyone should be excited of the possibility and the potential of what we can see, no more, no less. Jeremiah Searles is with us here on Hale Varsity Radio. And when you talk about potential, Searles, where do you think this this team has potential right now as it stands for for next year? I'm not talking down the road, but next year specifically. Where do they have potential to, to, to you know be able to do things well? Yeah, you know, I think the potential for this is just to continue to grow off some of the offensive success we had this year. You know, at times it looked great, at times it looked awful. But the thing of the potential to grow in that, have some other new options. You know, you lose Trey Palmer, but you got some more options at receiver now. And then on defense, you know, the potential of just a whole new scheme and what that can look like. You know, there's the potential of it going really well and potential going really bad. You know, but there's still potential on that side. And, you know, defenses win championships. You know, I'm not a huge fan of the 335. But if you can make it work and you can plug it in there and do the things you need to do, it can be very effective, you know. So, I think potential to have some wrinkles on defense that are great, and then just to keep growing on the offensive side of the ball. So, so let's talk three three five for a second. You mentioned the fact that you don't quite like it, but I mean during bowl season we saw a lot of three three five defenses have success uh, against their opponents, and I specifically look at, at TCU against Michigan. I know they still let Michigan put up forty five points, but they got the win at the end of the day, and they they forced Michigan to do some things that they weren't as comfortable with. So, so what's your hesitation with the three three five? Anytime you only have six big bodies on the field, I get nervous. I get very nervous, especially when you're talking about teams that run the ball like crazy. And, you know, and a lot of guys that play the 3-3-5, you know, it's really to get turnovers, to get interceptions. You know, I don't think the 3-3-5 was created to stop the run, to stop an Iowa, to stop a Minnesota, to stop an Illinois that's going to play 12-21 big personnel. No, I, it was created for the Big 12 and the Pac-12 to – when you're defending the pass over and over again, and then you're just going to rely on your six big guys to be able to stop the occasional run in there. You know, so there's pros and cons to the 3-3-5. You know, you get a lot of guys that can run and athletic ability cover the edges, but I just feel like at times it really leaves you really susceptible to inside run and big bodies and getting double teams and getting creases 
which is why I'm just not a huge fan, which is what you saw Georgia do to TCU was they just beat them up front, and then you really have no answer if that's your base key. Searles, NFL we go, and you get to pick one. Who's top of your list for quarterback power rankings in the playoffs? Easy, Josh Allen, all day, every day. Sporting News has him number three, my friend. Good for them. When he's holding the Lombardi at the end of the day, we'll see. <laughs> did, did the Bills have Super Bowl potential in, in, in your mind, Searles, whenever you look at this? I mean, they have to go through the Chiefs in the AFC, and the Buffalo Bills in recent weeks haven't quite looked like themselves, but they do have the, uh, the what should I call it, the uh, motivation. motivation following the, the DeMar Hamlin injury. That, that's a good way to use, Searles. Yeah, no, trust me, I love the Bills. Obviously, I'm slightly biased, you know, but they still have to get through Cincinnati. And I'm not writing off Cincinnati by any means. You know, I love the teams in the AFC. I think the Dolphins are going to get beat. No, I think the Chargers might be able to do some noise. But overall, it's Kansas City, Buffalo, Cincy. And any three of those teams have Super Bowl potential, in my opinion. I think the Bills need to figure out some stuff on defense. But that offense can keep you in any game. Totally agree with the offense. Jeremiah Searles with us. So let's flip it around to the NFC. What's your uh, best outlook for your Vikings? Captain Kirk behind center. I know you're not a Philly guy, but, man, they've looked good. And then, of course, San Francisco is a big-time concern for everyone else in the NFC. Yeah, you know, I've planted the flag on my Minneapolis podcast and everything I do. I don't think the Vikings win this weekend, personally. Um, you know, I think that they've had too many issues, and everyone's like, yeah, they're a three-seat. Yeah, I don't believe in them, I thought. You know, and I think it's a two-man race between Philly and San Francisco. And right now I give the slight edge to San Francisco just because they got Debo Samuel back. I mean, that offense is the most quarterback-friendly offense in the NFL, and Brock Purdy's operating it at a very high level, even though he is just a little guy. You know, but you put Jalen Hurts back behind center, get him comfortable. I know he didn't look great um, last week, you know, but their defense is also scary. The NFC defenses are what are going to carry them to the Super Bowl and really what ultimately could help them win a Super Bowl and because either one of those offenses can get hot and score a lot of points, but it's the defense that's going to really win it for the NFC. With Philly, not only do they have your teammate, Linville Joseph, but your other former teammate, Indomit and Sue, and those guys are coming off the bench. Yeah, their, their twos on defense on Philly are starters on half of the NFL team. You know, and that's what makes Philly so scary. You talk about guys like Brandon Graham and Fletcher Cox. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, they lost Marcus Sweat, but, you know, they have – so many options of how they want to rush, who they want to rush, and keeping the rushers fresh, that, you know, that is a really, really tough front to have to do anything into run or pass. Searles, last thought, a George Kittle story. You and Georgie uh, trade uh, friendly barbs on Twitter quite often. Yes, I love Georgie. He is a special cat. Um, You know, my favorite. My favorite George stories, you know, I, I called him this year and he didn't answer after the Iowa game. He never does. <laughs> but I called him. I called him and uh, he didn't answer. And then he just tweeted me back and he's just like, I'm down. I'm down bad, man. And it was just good because you know, it's fun. You know, I always wonder with those guys because we haven't had a chance to poke back and forth. I've been taking a lot of the jabs. But, you know, it's just fun to know that that rivalry still means something to, to all of us. So it still matters. Uh, for guys like George Kittle, myself, everyone involved, you know, so it's just fun to poke back and fun with that guy, and he's he's a madman. Jeremiah Searles with a standout Husker, longtime NFLer, uh, sports agent, and Searles, safe travels back, bud. We'll uh, get a beer soon, and, and thanks for the time today. Absolutely, appreciate you guys. Have a good one. Go Big Red. 
Hey, it's Schmitty. Want to tell you about a fantastic opportunity to work for a rapidly growing company that also enjoys the benefits earned with having competitive, stable history of work over 20 years? FSC. The FSC Edge, it's a leading technology innovator serving governmental agencies. Expert services helping worldwide patent offices meet strict processing and publishing timelines while delivering exceptional quality. They support some of the world's largest patent offices throughout the U.S. and Europe. That includes the European Patent Office. Office, the German Patent and Trademark Office, and the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office. The only group of companies worldwide to provide such support to all three of these agencies. Working at FSC, you have a chance to work with fun people with great attitudes and learn about patents. You're not on the phone. You're not customer-facing. It's casual dress. And the work environment, it's a new environment with over $2 million in improvements. You have access to generous benefits packages, company support for health and wellness, and you do impactful work on a national scale. Make a difference. Their team's constantly growing, and they're always looking for new people to join their mission. Check out what's available today at fscedge.com. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy-on, easy-off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. The Hale Varsity Radio Saturday Morning Show. Strap yourselves in. Here are your hosts, Chris Schmidt. Y'all don't even know he was a virgin until he's 28 and now roll tide. And Mark Cranach. Has come for someone to put his foot down, and that foot is me. Back with your Tower 2, it's Hale Varsity Weekend, presented by Currency for all your equipment financing needs. Go Currency, Chris Schmidt, Mark Cranach, Elijah Herbal, and uh, we are efforting Brandon Vogel uh, as uh, we'll get Vogues locked in. Uh, numbers to join us this second hour at 466-377-6800-825-5865. Plenty of recruiting news to get into as Nebraska uh, all over the state and uh, making a trip down to Arizona with uh, one Dylan uh, Riola. Uh, see where that uh, can take Nebraska. Also, Cranach and Elijah Nebraska uh, keeping track of a, a couple potential Bulldogs that are in the portal, an outside linebacker and a, uh, a tight end. Uh, we'll see where that goes. And, uh, of course, we've spent a, a lot of time here the last part of hour one talking about what the future holds for one Xavier Betts and Nebraska mm-hmm. football. Can email the show, as always, Chris at Hale Varsity. Uh, Brandon Vogel in just a moment. And uh, we'll spend time with Gary Sharp, the Iron Horse, around 8.30 or so. So it's weird to to have uh, no football. I mean, NFL action, yes, but college football's uh, finally wrapped up, and it's been a whirlwind season. We've been editor with HaleVarsity.com and magazine Brandon L. Vogel. Uh, hunker down in this football office. Vogue's uh, been a pretty good week for Nebraska as 
we put a bow on the college football season with Georgia flexing once again. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. How are you guys? We're good. We're good. Uh, thoughts with uh, Nebraska uh, as it pertains to just their movement this week. Uh, Friday, the uh, the floodgates opened in-state and out-of-state with visiting different prospects and also, uh, you know, winter conditioning on the doorstep here this uh, upcoming week. Yeah, uh, pretty strong start to the week. I mean, <laughs> you see the, the flood of social media posts and local high school coaches talking about um, the last time a Nebraska coach had stopped by, which is always one of those things that I think fans like to see but also hate to see because it, it prompts some questions. Um, but it, so it goes. Uh, you know, the transfer addition of Walter Rouse this week, I think it's pretty big for, for Nebraska. Um, so all in all, it's always the, the honeymoon period with a, with a new coaching staff, particularly this early. But uh, things do seem to be going pretty well for the Huskers. Brandon, uh, listener on the stream, Dion uh, writes that I hope Rule knows what he's doing about bets. Personally, I wouldn't take bets back. I won't trust him. Um, fair, considering that bets just sort of bounced, right? He just left. But why would you take him back? And what is your understanding of, you know, how bets was in the locker room or not? Like, was. Would you equate him to like Maurice Washington, who is sort of, you know, from what you hear, kind of toxic within the locker room? Would you put bets in that category or, or, or why would you take him back? I mean, I think you'd take him back. Well, it's, it's college football and obviously he's a talented player. So let's, let's not pretend that that's not part of the, the math here. It is. Um, but you have a player who I think, struggled a little bit to not adapt to the college game. I mean, he was perfectly good in spurts when we saw him, but I think adapt to try to figure out exactly what it is he's passionate about and what he wants to do. Um, And you always got the sense with him, at least I did, that he was a very good football player, um, which maybe wasn't his kind of, life's ambition at the moment and you know and he's a young guy and he spent some time without the game and outside of the stadium and the fact that he wants back in i think tells you that football has remained part of his his life and and for for rules sake in addition to just the talent i think there's also the give a guy a chance um try to help a kid out who i think you know in some of his statements showed he was he was just struggling with with some things so i think there's also part of that and as an in-state kid um as you try to build this relationship with in-state coaches um there there's some benefit to be had that way as well but brandon the talent speaks for itself is it fair to say that i mean if he picks up where he left off at nebraska he he probably steps into the wide receiver room as the most talented guy in there just based on on pure athletic ability and what he can do in a football field he, he can just do things that a lot of other athletes can't do it's a similar story with a guy like malachi Comey. look at that and you just go purely based on athletic ability there's a lot to work with i'd say the same about bets do you think he steps in as being maybe not the best guy in the room but the most talented guy in the room if you follow me yeah yeah i think in terms of physical talent he's he's right up there um we'll see how some of these these younger players who are on the roster who have been around for a season or two kind of continue to develop. I mean, 
I look at the season that Marcus Washington had for Nebraska, and I, I thought it was really strong from him. I didn't know exactly what to expect for him coming from Texas. Didn't have a whole lot of expectations, and I think he exceeded most of those. Uh, I think that's a player you can kind of kind of build around. But in terms of like sheer talent, physical, and athletic ability, uh, that certainly ranks up there, um, and, and specifically in the speed category. Brandon Vogel with us here on Hale Varsity Weekend at Brandon L. Vogel. On Twitter is where you find him. Wide receiver uh, is is one area of need. Uh, Nebraska portaling there already um, with uh, a guy who's played a, a lot of college football uh, in in uh, the Virginia transfer. Uh, and Kemp? Uh, one more time. Kemp? Kemp, yeah. Kemp is where I was reaching my mind, not working as quickly as it needs to this morning. But uh, Kemp, uh, you know, with the punt return and, and then that, that slot ability at 5'9", that's that's a body type you want. You've got Alante. You mentioned Washington. You figure out where, where bets can maybe work into the equation if uh, all things proceed. And, and then tight end room. Let's go there because uh, Vokalek off to the NFL. Austin Allen's been in the league for a year. You've got some young guys, and I think of a guy like Carney, Borkacher, uh, Rollins, uh, of course. Uh, Chancellor's gone. So you need to either have some guys that haven't seen a lot of field time, aside from Borkacher, step up, or you can go portal again. And, uh, you know, Nebraska has a chance here to uh, to maybe make a, a pretty good impression with um, with the, the Georgia tight end that, that may – find his way and he's stuck behind <laughs> uh, Elijah's favorite tight end in college football yeah um, and I mean you talk about kind of additions that you know maybe technically you already had in in bets um, I mean technically had is less the case here but Thomas Fedoni uh, it'd be nice to see him healthy for for a that, full that's a name that's probably pretty season. obvious yes <laughs> yeah, I mean, in terms of what Nebraska has on the roster, like that one, in terms of talent, physical ability, I think probably isn't close. I mean, Thomas Fedoni was was ranked ahead, I think, of in, in that recruiting class of Elijah's current favorite tight end. So tells you at least where that was at coming out of high school. I mean, I think that's vital. You know, you look at you look at Borgder and what he he did over the season. He kind of is the steadiest one. I think I think you got, but. That one's that one's pretty interesting, and that's an area that I think now that Nebraska has has addressed some things on the O line, there's not much time left in this portal window. But in the the one post spring, if Nebraska doesn't doesn't make an addition, we'll see how that tight end room looks looks in the spring because that's a spot where I could certainly see Nebraska trying to add a little bit of experience. See, there you know, is the uh, uh, the player I'm talking about, Cranach uh, and Vogues and, and Elijah that. Uh, was was in town last night. Yep. Yeah. And, and <clears throat> Georgia's scraps will do just fine. Uh. <laughs> well, well, speaking speaking of Georgia's scraps, folks, MJ Sherman seems to be another potential option for Nebraska. An edge rusher slash outside linebacker. Another guy who, I mean, saw the field sparringly at Georgia, but was very talented coming out of high school and just stuck behind some some NFL guys. So, what's your take on Sherman? Is Nebraska? got potential there to land a guy in Sherman? What can Sherman bring to the football field? I, I think they'll, I think they'll have a shot. Um, you know, he was obviously with, with Dan Lanning 
uh, at Georgia, who's currently at Oregon, you, you immediately kind of jump to, well, that's probably somebody to to watch out for. I haven't seen if Oregon's, you know, officially expressed any interest yet or not. I presume they will. I, I like him quite a bit. And I'm somebody who I get a little hesitant with, I think our default setting with these players that come from Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, et cetera, is like, well, they weren't playing a ton, but look at all the talent, which can be true. And in this case, I think it was. And the thing that impressed me about him is he really made a contribution on special teams. Like, you know, a former, <laughs> you don't take that for granted with former five-star guys because he came in at a similar level to a lot of those Georgia players that were ahead of him. And, and they just ended up ahead of him. So, but the fact that he was a kind of key contributor, I think Kirby Smart even called out specifically his contributions on special teams leaves me with a pretty good feeling about him as as a player as a potential player at nebraska yeah i mean if you're sitting behind a couple first rounders but you're a third rounder that's fine <laughs> okay sure. we'll t- take that um all right so let's let's look at the state of texas and i think we knew matt rule would come in and prioritize it given his history at at baylor um but i think they've they've taken it kind of to another level here let's kind of recap you got Receivers coach Garrett McGuire, son of Joey McGuire, who was a Texas high school coaching legend and now at, at Texas Tech, of course. You have this Dr. Elza, who is kind of like the president of the equivalent of the NSAA here, from what I can gather. Um, so obviously connected to literally every high school's athletic department in the entire state. She's going to be joining as like a chief of staff. Um, and then you also have Bob, uh, Bob Wager, who is a uh, coach of a prominent high school f- program in Texas and also the president of the football coaches. So obviously another connected guy. I, Brandon, I'm bringing all this up because I'm just trying to think, like, I, I don't think there's there's a comp in Nebraska's history where, like, everybody says they're going to recruit X area or Y area, but that is Nebraska, like, firmly planting a flag right the hell in the middle of that state. Um, it's it's kind of jumped the shark in that way, don't you think? Given the people that they're bringing in, yeah. Um, so when I saw the um the administrative edition yesterday, like it kind of, I was like, you know, if this was if Texas State had fired Jimbo Fisher and Matt Rule went there and made those hires that we're just talking about like they'd be ecstatic because it's a clear kind of offensive move into, into the state of Texas, which, which is interesting to the point where I was like, there have been moments where I'm like, Oh, Texas again for, for Nebraska. So they're they're clearly trying to plant a flag. I think that's, that's the the right term for it there, which, which is interesting. You know, I've never been somebody who kind of has looked at Nebraska's fortunes, since it joined the Big Ten and thought, well, you know, losing that direct connection to Texas was one of my first two or three reasons Nebraska's fall has happened a little bit. But I think when you look at programs in Nebraska's kind of region, a lot of them have to, they got to have a direct connection somewhere to one of those recruiting hotbeds. And if it's going to be Texas for Nebraska and they can pull it off with these connections that they've sort of strategically made, great. You know, some of those great Indiana teams, well, not great, but the the strong Indiana teams of 2019 or 2020 and 2021, 
really hit Florida hard. I think Minnesota is a program that tends to have a ton of connections and a ton of players from Florida. So you're going to need one of those. It's like the old NCAA football game. You got to, you got to, create those pipeline states, right? Um, yeah. You got to have one. You got to have Florida. You got to have Georgia. You got to have Texas, maybe less so California in, in today's football. But with this staff, I think it's pretty clear where they're hoping to make that um, kind of fertile recruiting ground. And it's the state of Texas. Vogue's really fast. I mean, you have to jump ahead of you, but I have a good NCAA football question here that's, that's been on my mind. If, you, if you're looking ahead to the to – the, class of 2024 and you know in the ncaa football game you can go in and create a recruit you know you, you make him from your backyard you make him a five-star a guy that's going to come in and change your program you could do that if you want to if you could do that for nebraska give me the, the archetype of player you would create that you think would help nebraska in 2024 or is that player just dylan riola um, it, it might just be dylan riola um, I might take all his attributes, make him Brandon Vogel Jr. from Hemingford, Nebraska, give us a little <laughs> bit better. I mean, you've already got the legacy connection. I think we'll see. There, there could be a long way to go with that one. Um, but, uh, you know, we've obviously got the strong Husker connections there in a couple of different ways. So he may effectively be an in-state recruit, but if he's not, I'll duplicate him, um, make him my progeny, and, and put him in-state. Just Love as that. a backup option. Love that. <laughs> Hemingford is uh, yes. Uh, we gotta we gotta get the uh, the Hemingford uh, T-shirt going here next next weekend, Vogues. Uh, more shout-outs. I love it. But I, I like uh, when we were listening to Coach Barthel earlier this week. He referenced his. Uh, backstory a bit in, on the East Coast, clearly, but not only being at, at Penn State and in the Big Ten for a time, so knowing the East Coast, that cord, corridor, but also being at, at, at Bergen. I mean, that that's another pipeline. And look look at all of the the reach Nebraska has, not only to, to Cranach's point and what you've echoed, that that planting in Texas, but also the ability to go East Coast. And to me, that adds up, guys. When you look back, Nebraska's most successful teams started at home, kept players at home, and a lot of the O-line was homegrown, and and you had homegrown defensive linemen as well. And then you'd kind of zoom out to that 500-mile radius, and you'd grab from Kansas City, or you'd go hit Missouri hard. It's just felt like Nebraska's not had a – stable second home for for quite a while clearly that can become texas and i think it can become new jersey again and not that you don't go west coast but man uh or or pay attention to florida either because i think nebraska's done that well but tell me a little bit here about the value vogues uh with the east coast and and can nebraska if texas is going to be one can can jersey or should jersey be one a I don't know if it should be B one A. Nebraska should probably be one A, though. If we're leave, move, removing that from the conversation, that, that's um, that's thing, that's the starting point. Is Nebraska yeah. right? It, it's not. It's 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 zero. It's it's a given. I get it. Um, the thing that's interesting about the East Coast to me is, I think there's opportunities to get players who are a little bit undervalued and probably under recruited for for a couple of reasons you know we look at texas high school football in texas or georgia 
and, and it really is kind of a religion and it's you know covered to to a big big degree now you know i wasn't on the eastern seaboard that far south but i did live on the east coast for quite a while and it's not the football high school football is not important but it feels more like an activity than, than a religion team that's done really well out there uh lately i think is michigan um hired biff pogey kind of an instrumental guy who's now the head coach at charlotte um had you know a successful high school coach out there nebraska has those connections it's not that you're gonna fill your classes from that region year in and year out i think but i do think there's there's value to be had because less so with kind of the maryland virginia area but you get up into philadelphia new york etc unless you're talking penn state or if the michigan connection kind of remains now that that pogey is gone uh Where's the natural place for a player that's that like Big Ten level to go? I mean, you've got Syracuse, you've got Boston College that are, you know, really up north, but it's kind of an open ground. And with the number of connections this staff has, you know, even greater than the ones they've gone out and sought to, to make Texas directly connected. I think Nebraska has an opportunity to do really well there. And it matches up with, I think, how they like to recruit anyway. They like the guy that they're going to be the first offer on. They like the guy that's not getting the attention. That probably happens in the East Coast guys more than, more often than not. You know, and Walter Rouse, the transfer that Nebraska just landed from Stanford, he hails from Baltimore, right? So he's on that Eastern Seaboard, and Nebraska taps into him. I want to really quick jump into there and then how you sort of cross-reference that with spring ball. You're not going to have Casey Thompson this spring as he recovers from injury. Walter Rouse, the presumed, I mean, I, th- I think you pencil him in at left tackle um, or right, depending on how well uh, Prohaska comes back. Um, but I, I guess I'm, I'm wondering, wh- wh- what do you see as that impact on the offensive line? If you, if you pencil, like Prohaska and Rouse are probably your tackles. So where does that leave Ben Arden and Corcoran? And then two, just spring ball in general this year. Man, I don't think it's going to be a really good preview of what you're actually going to see in the fall, just given these really big pieces and Thompson and Rouse aren't going to be a part of it. Yeah, I think that's that's a that's a good point. I less I less worry about Rouse because I think given you have players that you were really high on at the time they were recruited and, and are still, you know, They've got good experience, but they've still got multiple years of eligibility left. Like, I don't think you're anyone's throwing out throwing out anything with those guys. You hope you can build some depth there. Spring becomes important, but Rouse, given the amount of football he played, like I, I don't think you miss his absence as much as as maybe you do Casey Thompson. You know, with a transition to a new offensive style and scheme. Um, I should say, like, based on everything we've heard about Casey Thompson and his kind of work ethic, like, football seems to be about all he does, even in his free time. Like, I'm not worried about him picking it up. But you're going to run that entire spring with with the quarterback who I don't think, unless Sims really kind of blows it out of the water with a a new setting, you're not going to have your starter. Um, So you got to find a way to make that valuable and and get uh, a pretty – deep quarterback room as as it currently stands um 
make make those those snaps valuable and, and hopefully get a guy ready um and if somebody kind of rises up through through the spring somebody like sims presumably um to to really challenge for that starting spot well you can you can figure that out in the offseason brandon vogel's with us here on hail varsity radio and vogues before we get you out a new black shirts logo has been making the rounds on social media oh, mixed yeah. reviews has is what it's been greeted with i, I want to get your take on on the logo and also have you been able to confirm is this the legit new logo for the black shirts because that's a that's a big change from you know years and years of tradition with this old logo to the, for them to change it now and i think it may put some question marks around trev albert's tenure at nebraska as ad and oh he okayed Lord. that <laughs> that's that's true he's bringing back you know he said he's bringing back old herbie and now he's ditching the, the classic black shirts logo. we gotta get this guy out of here i can't, I can't stand that um oh. no trev's doing a great job um i haven't confirmed myself that it is legit but uh a well-placed source did tell us that it probably it probably is so i i don't think it's uh it's internet fakery you know the old the, the the only black shirts logo which you know i did a big story on this multiple years ago we got the guy who created it just a screen printer in omaha um it actually debuted in the early 80s and was based i think the university took over that mark in in the early 90s you know it was clearly something that was kind of handmade um it did you know you look at the new one it's got a new helmet on it it's got some some accents some bevels like all of the new stuff when you update a logo that that you do to it so i don't dislike the the new one by any means but it, it does lack a little of the kind of homegrown charm i've always found with the classic one yeah uh, and look in branding sort of terms it's more of a refresh than it is like a new logo right i mean it's it's, it's not you have to have a pretty discerning eye to see the stark differences it's not you know what I mean? It's not like all of a sudden it's a pink skull or something, you know? I thought it did a pretty good job of honoring the original and just kind of updating it a, a touch. Well, yeah, we'll I mean, talk. I can tell you from, from having done that story, how the original logo, I'll do this quickly, sorry. Uh, mm-hmm. How that original logo came, Dr. Tim Riley, uh, who ran a screen printing business, was the, the originator of that. And he literally, you know, in those days, you, you basically kind of trace logos from books. And he, he found an anatomy book. That's where that skull comes from. That's where those bones come from. Um, so those are kind of the, the origins of that. Huh. And then I, I believe there was something with, was it Boyd Epley who saw the logo at a game and bought himself a shirt or something like that? You can correct me if I'm yeah, wrong here. What, yeah. I, what what I recall was, was Riley took that t-shirt. So he put this out and unveiled it at one of those games. I forget the year exactly, maybe 85, um, against Florida state, like took, made a hand handmade banner, took it and unfurled it. And that was kind of its debut. Um, and he did like, just call up Tom Osborne was like, Hey, I have this thing. People seem to really like it. Do you want to use it? And I think, Coach Osborne was kind of like, yeah, that's fine. Um, so <laughs> those are those are some of the loose origins of that. Brandon Vogel with us, HailVarsity.com uh, magazine. And uh, be sure to get your subscription today to, to both the magazine and, of course, the, the digital package. Great coverage with the Hail Varsity staff, HailVarsity.com backslash offer.
uh, is uh, how you get that hookup. Bogues, what's happening with Hale Varsity this weekend? And tell us a little bit here about the new mag. Yeah, we've got a big women's basketball game today, of course. Um, but the January issue uh, goes to print early next week. So that'll be on its way for, for subscribers. If you're not, get in now. Um, Brady, Brady Oltman's our football our lead football writer has has a great story just kind of looking at Nebraska recruiting over since this new staff has arrived. I'm currently working on uh, looking at kind of the footprints of both of these coordinators, um, offense and defense, what they've done well at their previous stops, some things that were maybe, you know, weaknesses. Every offense and defense is going to have, have both of those. So uh, if you're looking for a little bit better understanding, I think, of where these offenses have been good and where they've they've maybe had some weaknesses, that'll be in there as well. Uh, got a great legend story from Mike Babcock on MJ Knighton, former Husker softball player who's now the head coach at University of San Diego, a pretty important hire for the University of San Diego. Um, so a lot of good stuff. Still time to get in and get that January issue if you're not a subscriber. That is awesome. Vogues, have yourself a weekend, bud. Thanks for jumping on with us. Thanks, guys. There he is, Brandon Vogel. Mark Cranach, Elijah Herbal. Quick time out as we work through a weekend edition of Hale Varsity and the Iron Horse. In the on-deck circle, Gary Sharp with us. It's Hale Varsity. We're presented by Currency. Like what you hear, high-quality radio and podcast is part of what we do at Hale Varsity. Hey, it's Chris Schmidt with Hale Varsity Radio, and I wanted to offer listeners of the Hale Varsity Radio Show podcast $10 off the price of an annual subscription. That means that you can get everything we do, 10 issues of our monthly magazine, our annual football yearbook, and all the premium content we produce at HaleVarsity.com. Just go to HaleVarsity.com backslash subscribe and enter in the promo code GBR for $10 off a full year of Hail Varsity. That's hailvarsity.com backslash subscribe promo code GBR. Glad to have you back. Yes, sir. You heard me right. Here are the guys, Schmidt and Cranach. Well, Hector, here's the game plan. You're going to bring us two absolute martinis. You know how I like them straight up. And then precisely seven and one half minutes after that, you're going to bring us two more. Then two more after that every five minutes until one of us passes out. Excellent strategy, sir. Winding down this uh, Saturday edition, weekend edition of Hail Varsity, presented by Currency, Mark Cranach, Elijah Herbal, Chris Schmidt. We welcome in the Iron Horse, Gary Sharp with us. Sharpie, good morning. Thanks for a few minutes. How are we doing? Hey, good morning, guys. I got my coffee, and I got my uh, favorite threesome in the morning. <laughs> you know, that's a you problem, but we appreciate you. Uh, we appreciate you. There, there's a lot of different uh, directions to go. I'm not going to get into uh, to, to choice, uh, but uh, I will. <laughs> I will start off with uh, with the portal. Let's let's go there, and uh, a lot of a lot of different uh, news items to get into, but. Uh, uh, Rouse, I want to get your take. You, you've uh, covered Nebraska football a number of years, man, and uh, portal is is kind of a new normal. But Nebraska, it looks like on paper, landed a really, really talented guy that can help bolster the offensive line. Yeah, I, you know, you're in a situation on the offensive line because of some missteps in terms of recruiting and developing that you have to go portal. And I'm a big 
get high school offensive linemen, develop them, develop them, because offensive linemen appear to be a crapshoot when it comes to the portal. Some of the best that are in the portal, you wonder why are they there, and then they end up going to the, the upper echelon teams of college football. But in this case, I think this was a, a priority for Nebraska, somebody they saw that's played a lot of football uh, that you could, you could put in at one of the tackle spots, maybe left tackle, maybe right tackle. Um, you know, he's been told that left tackle is the place for him. But I, I think it, it, it stabilizes something because he's played a lot of football. And, and I like his hand placement. Um, you know, he's, he's very adept in the run game. Um, and if this is a priority, and, you know, in the day before, Nebraska loses a, a guy that probably would have been one of your starting interior linemen to Florida, was this an NIL? And if it was, that's okay because the NIL is in place to, if you want somebody and they're a priority, you go get them. You don't overspend, but you make a package worthwhile in selling, hey, this is what we can do for you. This is what you can do for us. Are we a match? And I think in this case, Nebraska got a victory. I mean, this is, this is something, if you think about it, guys, let's say that Teddy Prohaska, who, you know, we're still kind of waiting on. There's all kinds of possibilities, and his ceiling is high, but he's got to stay healthy. You could realistically sit here today and go, man, Nebraska's got four of their five offensive line spots figured out, and I didn't think we'd be in a position to say that. So it's a win for Nebraska getting a, a guy like Walter Rouse to uh, come in and, and be able to step in and, and get going once he's a healthy for camp next fall. Brent, act your mute, bud. I got him off mute. We're good now. We're good. God, Elijah. May have been a me problem. I didn't want to hop uh, mic moments during the commercial break. That may have been a me, <laughs> me problem. <laughs> it's fair. It's fair. Um, offensive line, just just uh, walk with me here. So, And you mentioned the word match. It, is it conceivable that part of Nebraska's problem on the offensive line was, okay, you rewind to 2021, you had Frost and Austin that clearly had some conflict in terms yeah. of what they wanted to do with the offensive line and what they wanted to do with the offense. You fast forward to 2022, you bring in a new guy, Rayola, and then you also bring in Whipple, and then you also have Frost. And those three guys weren't on the same page either. And so really at the brunt of that is the offensive line. Like while everybody above them is trying to figure it out and try to sort it out, they're the dudes that have to sort it out within a couple seconds on every single play on the field. And just truly we're not put in a great position. Is that, do you think that is a reasonable assessment of maybe what's been going on? And as you go forward now, the fact that they'll all be on the same page, Satterfield, Raiola, Rule, will benefit the offensive line. And maybe we could expect to see a better performance because they were pretty bad last couple of years. Absolutely. Now, then it becomes on the player to play up to your abilities. But there's a big thing about everybody being aligned. And, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, Scott and Greg, for some reason, got sideways, and they never able to replace it. And it had a direct effect on, by, on the offensive lineman in that room. Last year was the same way. I don't know that there was a lot of respect for Donovan Raiola coming into the situation that he did. And let's be honest, he's coming into a situation where the offensive lineman has underperformed and you've got a brand-new first-time coach with a veteran offensive coordinator and a coach that's trying to keep his job. And so it was discombobulated from the start. Um, and, you know, we're all kind of waiting to see if that's the difference and if there's, you know, there's going to be a flip of some guys that we've been waiting on, a Ben Hart and a, and a Corcoran. And even though, you know, I thought Ben Hart, especially pass pro, got better 
towards the tail end of the season. I, I think another thing about the offensive line, and you're kind of hearing it as more uh, assistants talk about Donovan Riola and kind of how they feel about him and why he was retained, is quite simply you've got the head coach who is not afraid to go down and get involved in the offensive line and to get his hands dirty. And he's put himself out there about where this offensive line is going. And I believe also that will benefit this offensive line is they are speaking about controlling the line of scrimmage. And I truly believe that's what they want to do. Instead of just saying, yeah, that's what you're supposed to say when you're in the Big Ten and you're playing in the West Division and you're a place like Nebraska is we want to win the line of scrimmage. I believe these guys have an intent on doing that. And you look at how they've recruited, especially in the portal. They've been aggressive with offensive linemen. Um, so they're going to make sure that the offensive line is good and that Donovan Royola has a chance to kind of hit the reset button. But I will tell you one thing that really stood out to me over the course of the last month and how our opinion on Donovan Royola has changed. It's players came to his defense, and we had not heard that during the season. But and, and a lot of them hadn't talked about it, and there were other pressing issues. But the offensive lineman coming to the forefront and saying, hey, Donovan Ryola can be a really, really good position coach is something I was not expecting. So that also gives me a little bit of hope going into 23. Gary Sharp's with us here, a Saturday morning edition of Hale Varsity Radio. And Gary, I'm going to keep this short and sweet. I don't think I need to overcomplicate it. Xavier Betts reportedly coming back to Nebraska. Your reaction is what? If he is engaged and he's ready to go and he's focused and he can do Monday through Friday that gets him to Saturday, he's a Sunday guy. Uh, you know, it was a situation where they invested a lot in him last spring and it just wasn't for him. He had lost the desire to play football. And, you know, you get away from it and you're back living in Omaha where everybody is asking you questions and it's a what if. And then all of a sudden it's a new page. Uh, in Lincoln, and he put himself in the portal just to see what Nebraska's response would be. And Nebraska's response is, we're in the talent acquisition business. If you want to play football and you are headstrong, then we can find a place for you. And, and I think it's a win for Nebraska. I mean, why, why, why wouldn't you, if everything is good, why wouldn't you add him to your roster? Especially, guys, we know this, even with the addition of Billy Kemp this week, that's a wide receiver room that is very, very light on experience and questions being answered. So if it's, if it's moving in the path, which it is moving, and they get it finalized, um, then it's good for, the, it's good for uh, Xavier as well. Um, because I think he got away and realized that, you know what, I can get a degree, I can play football, that's what I want to do. And if that's what he wants to do and Nebraska's convinced, um, I think it's a good restart for him at Nebraska. Sharpie, speak a, a moment to just the management on, on both ends, right? On, on bets, if he comes back, what will be expected of, of him? And I guess, you know, a, a second crack at it uh, academically and athletically, but also the, the new voice, the new head man uh, in rule and how what you've kind of gathered from rules, personality and management style, how that can help benefit benefit bets well i think there's no bs there's no mickey mouse show uh there's no preferential treatment you're one of you know 120 plus football players and you're on this roster because we see something out of you and i think some straight talk will you know maybe this time it'll work it's not like nebraska you know messed around and, and you know this was on nebraska nebraska invested a lot in xavier and there were times where we wondered why he wasn't on the field well, if you can't trust a guy in terms of the playbook and running the right play, and you can't, and you have to run something that is not super simple on a third down, you can't afford him to have him on the on the field. So 
this is on this is a lot on Xavier. So I'm excited if if he has turned his his life around and he's back focused and he can do the day to day stuff. I think this is a pretty good story. But this is on him to prove to everyone that he's good, he's ready to go for football, and he can help Nebraska. Because again, there is no doubt that when he is on in the brief little glimpses we've seen in his career, he can be a game changer. Again, he can be a Sunday guy. And we'll see if Nebraska can get him on the right path and they can keep him moving from day to day. But it'll be interesting. You're going to have a new wide receiver coach that he has absolutely no connection to that will be with him day to day. Will that room be strong enough also to help a guy like Xavier Betts get his feet back on the ground and move forward and help everybody win football games? You know, and Gary, I think within that, within this conversation too, is like, you know, the the demands of what it takes to play Division One football is, I mean, it's really significant. I mean, you're talking basically six a.m. to nine or ten p.m. almost daily, right? Like that's not an exaggeration mm-hmm. to say that, and that could burn some dudes out, right? Like that's a serious level of commitment that you have to have. Um, so it's not, you know, I, I just, some of the comments that you're hearing from fans, just like, ah, you know, lazy and, oh, that's not good for the locker room. And it's just like, I don't know if this is that much, it, it, this is really the, that's really the case in this situation. I think it's like, look, this is a really demanding thing that you just have to be all in on. And if you're not, you're not. Um, you think that's a, a piece of this too, is just like, you know, he basically has to decide, like, are you ready to basically commit 6A to 10P every day to doing this? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Mark. And here, here's the other part of people that are going, well, it, he's not going to be, you know, what's that? What's he going to do to the roster? You don't think in your first year, as much as you want as, as many talented guys on your roster, but in your first year, you don't think Matt Rule, if this moves forward and Xavier Betts is back, that Matt Rule has not vetted the heck out of Xavier Betts to get a comfortability level to say, yes, this guy has convinced me that he is all in and he's ready to become a student athlete again. I, I don't see that. I, I, think, I think they probably asked a lot of people that are not associated with Xavier, that know him a little bit, Xavier directly, to get a sense of, yep, he's good to go so we can move forward. But, you know, I, I think we understand more about the mental challenges of student athletes. You know, we all go through our struggles, but when you are a, a young, young man or woman and you're playing collegiate athletics at a high level, there is a demand on you, and there's also the demand on you to be a student as well. And we see more people and more athletes talking openly about that struggle. Um, I just think if, if Xavier has some people to guide him and, and he's good and he can turn his life around and he can get focused and he can get a degree – and also play football, man, that's a win-win for, for everybody. So I'm excited to see how this uh, works out and excited to see what kind of shape he would be in and where he'd be at if they get him back on the football field this spring. Gary Sharp with us, weekend edition, Hale Varsity Radio. Sharpie, just a couple minutes before we say goodbye, uh, Commissioner Warren's legacy is what to you? Uh, you won't know about it probably for a few years down the road. You know, I, I think we're going to find out in a short amount of time, in three and a half years, that that's a job where how much autonomy do you have to make decisions? Um, he didn't come across as the best communicator. We all know about the COVID year and, and the, the missteps along that way. I think it's in a tough position. I, I, think, I don't think when he took over the job, first of all, he replaced a legend in Jim Delaney. 
And nobody ever thought, well, he's going to be here long term. And so I think that was some hesitation. And, you know, he had a, you know, knocked heads with the presidents. Um, it's a weird tenure because you have the COVID year. You also have the development of women's sports and just what we we're talking about, the mental health of the student athlete, the Kevin Warren, that was so near and dear to him. And then, of course, a mega TV deal that how much did he have to do with it or was it television executives? I, I think it's going to be a few years down the road before we can get a, a sense and, okay, this is what Kevin Warren's tenure was um, at the Big Ten. But he definitely changed the fabric of college football. But it's, you know, nobody is saying, oh, no, Nebraska, or no, excuse me, Big Ten is in trouble with Kevin Warren gone. They're like, okay, I have some strong feelings, time to move on. And it'll be an important hire for the Big Ten, whether they decide to stay like in the entertainment TV industry or if they go with someone that is more collegiate. Because, you know, is that a job that you're a mouthpiece for the presidents? Or, or is it somebody that you can be a forward thinker and kind of be Jim Delaney where you say, hey, this is what I'm going to do. And then you tell everybody instead of people telling you what to do and then you go and do it. Gary Sharp with us. Sharpie, have a good week, bud. Thanks for your insight and uh, jumping on with us this morning. Hey, great show, guys. Have a, a wonderful weekend to you and uh, all your listeners. Appreciate you. There he is, Gary Sharp. Appreciate you, Gary. Cranach, be good, brother. You as well, man. You as well. Elijah, thanks for everything. We'll talk to you Monday at 4 on Hale Varsity. Thanks. A Huda Media Production.